This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to another segment of Stopping Socialism TV. As always, I am Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Chris Talgo, Senior Editor at the Heartland Institute. We're going to be talking about uh, what might be considered the new normal, lowering our standard of living. Um, so we've got a couple of articles that we want to talk about. But before we get into that, I always have to put that call out there that if you like this content, you want to see more, you want to help this message of Stopping Socialism spread to more eyes, the easiest thing that you can do, the cheapest thing that you can do, do is just hit the like button, hit the share button, subscribe to our channel. Any of these things help with the algorithms that are put in place and make sure that we get in front of more people so you can help just by doing those few things. But Chris, how are you today? Doing good. How are you, Donnie? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Although I am a little dismayed at a couple of the articles that I've been seeing recently. There seems to be a trend going on uh, about talking about the supply chain issues and inflation and all these things that you and I talk about all the time, whether it's on Stopping Socialism TV or the In the Tank podcast, where it seems like the solution to these things in the minds of some is to just live with it. You know, this is just going to be the new normal. Like your standard of living is just going to be less and you just have to just have to live with it. Not uh, not any other solutions that we think are more encompassing of the the actual the, the the problems that are underlying these things. No, we just have to live with it. So I've got a couple examples, and I just want to go through them here. So the first one is from a Bloomberg. It's a Bloomberg opinion piece. Here, let me pop this up on the screen. Americans need to learn to live more like Europeans. Uh, supply chain shortages are constraining U.S. consumers' endless appetite for buying whatever they want, whenever they want. It's about time. So, Chris, I just want to go through this article and kind of get your takes on some of it, because some of the stuff I can kind of like, okay, I see where they're coming from, and some of it's just like, I do not like this. So just based on the headline of the article, which is probably what 90% of the readers of this will only see, what are your thoughts on just the headline? Uh, what I think the administration is trying to do is to uh, make the American people uh, less uh, willing to speak up about all the inflation and supply chain problems. So what they're saying is ignore the problem and just live, you know, this this lower exactly. standard of living. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gosh. The, the second article that I have in store for all of you will blow your mind. So just keep watching throughout the end of this video. So I just want to go through and try to read some of this stuff. Uh it's, the article starts off, uh, it's become the conventional wisdom that the U.S. economy is built on America's endless appetite to buy lots and lots of stuff. Household consumption makes up 67% of the GDP. When the economy falters, we're told spending is our patriotic duty. But sadly, Americans can't spend like they used to. Store shelves are emptying, and it takes months to find a car, refrigerator, or sofa. If this continues, we may need to learn to do without. And horrors like more like the Europeans. Uh, that actually might not be a bad thing, because the U.S. economy could be healthier if it were less reliant on consumption. So that's the opening paragraph. And to me, I had a few issues with that. And I, I think we might disagree on some of this stuff because 
this is actually the author of this is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which we talk about all the time. We're actually pretty friendly with the Manhattan Institute, so it's not like there's some socialist uh, operation over there or anything like that. They're a free market group. Uh, but this idea that like we need to be less resilient on uh, the, the the economy needs to be less reliant on consumption. It's, so to me, that feels like you know the, your average expendable income for your your household shouldn't be spent on just random goods and stuff that you don't necessarily need. It should be spent more on just like keeping the lights on in the house and making sure that you have heat and electricity like you know like i don't know that's that's what it says to me and that is like a pretty slippery slope that's a little worrisome what do you think when you see that first paragraph oh, i agree the the u.s economy is built on the back of uh consumption and a lot of this uh is because there is not as many products to consume so what they're saying is i think they're just trying to you know like uh, do a bait and switch instead of focusing on the fact that the American people cannot find the goods that they're looking for on store shelves or order them, you know, in a timely manner. What they're saying is, oh, living that way is somewhat immoral in the first place. So let's not live like that anymore because we can't because of the present, you know, administration and the policies that they've enacted in less than a year. So let's actually just stop living like Americans and let's start living like our European brethren. Yeah. And why is that? Why would that be immoral? to live with, you know, buying goods and stuff that you don't necessarily need, you know, like I, that's, that's one thing I don't, that's a disconnect that I have with the author of this. And even in the second paragraph says we've entered an age of overabundance. Uh, we consume much more than we used to and more than other countries. Is that a bad thing? No. And, and I think it's all, it's all relative. It's, you know, in, in history, in the, in the early 1900s, they were saying the same thing versus people that lived in the late 1700s. Sure. And then in the early, you know, uh, 1950s, when, uh, you know, America exploded in terms of uh, consumption growth after World War II, people were buying homes, they were buying cars. And I'm sure there were a lot of people in the silent generation who said, you don't need all these things. You don't need vacuum cleaners. Go in and, and you know, do your chores, you know, by hand, like, like, like you know, we used to. So I think, you know, some of this is, uh, you know, people discounting, how great our lives have become due to the fact that we have a highly consumptive economy. Right, right. It says here, we consume much more than we used to and more than other countries. Consumption per capita grew about 65% from 1990 to 2015 compared to about 35% growth in Europe. Household consumption makes up only about 50% of the GDP in Germany. And it's like, again, like, is this necessarily a bad thing? I don't I don't understand why this is being presented as a bad thing. And then it's, that. Go ahead. It's not a bad thing. You know, uh, one of the major differences between European economies, generally speaking, and the American economy is that Europeans are fine with slow growth in a somewhat stagnant economy. Where does all the innovation come from? Where do all the, you know, the, the, the new products generally come from? America, because usually we are the innovators and it's our appetite for consumption that drives that. So obviously, if people are just, you know, consuming just for the sake of consumption and, you know, living, uh, you know, the lives that are, you know, just filled with, you know, shopping, I mean, Technically, you could say, yeah, maybe that's not the most like fulfilling way to live one's life. However, I would much rather have an economy where people are able to buy things and able to, uh, you know, buy 
whatever they want, whenever they want, right. then the, then, then the opposite, which is, you know, Soviet union breadlines and the, <laughs> and the, uh, the government basically saying, here's what you get. Be happy with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders quote, that's like, uh, the breadlines, uh, that's a good thing yeah. that, that did come to mind when I was reading some of this. So in this paragraph, the average U S home was 1700 square feet in 1980 by 2015. It was 2000 square feet, even though the number of people in the average household shrank in 1980, 15% of households didn't have a TV. Now only about 3% don't. In 2015, 40% of American households had three or more TVs, including 30% of households earning less than $40,000 a year. And again, like all of this stuff is, is listed out like it's some, uh, you know, evidence of this bad stuff. And I'm reading these things and I'm like, that's great. I wish people had six TVs. Like I don't, I don't understand why this is such a bad thing. Exactly, it it, it shows the might of the American economy. And you know, in 1980 versus uh, 2020 in that 40 year period, you know, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, you know, where where did the internet you know come from, America? Uh, what what has Europe produced in that in that time period? And I'm not trying to like you know say that Europe is is you know this like third world you know. Uh, region, but oh, it's terrible. But we can, uh, <laughs> but, but but let's let, let's let let's be honest. America and Europe are fundamentally different for many different reasons. Geography: America is a big country. European countries are very small. Uh, Americans have cars to get to and from work. Uh, Europeans usually rely on public transit. There are so many differences. Uh, in terms of the lifestyles between Americans and Europeans. And I know this because my mom is from Europe, born in Germany, still has family there. They live very different lifestyles and they do so willingly. In America, people came from the old world to the new world for opportunity. And because it was a place where you could, you know, strike it rich. And in Europe, it's still is there still is that uh, sense in society that You've got like class divisions and that uh, does not exist here in America. And part of the reason is because Americans can can strike it rich and rags to riches and go and consume and buy a big home. Yeah, it says, finally, if we are truly serious about protecting the planet, being a good global citizen will take more than driving an electric car or installing solar panels. It means consuming less so that we throw away less. Uh, maybe that means getting by with only one refrigerator or avoiding fast disposable fashion. And like, I don't know, this kind of harkens back to like the, the classic days of like, uh, you know, environmentalist philosophy where it's talking about how like, you know, by 2020, there's just going to be one giant landfill that we're all living in that, that type of stuff, which I think is very unfounded, but that's a whole nother conversation. But again, it's just like this, we're, we're, there's people among us that are writing op-eds like this that are that are trying to drive home this point that uh, you know you need to just buy less and consume less, and I think that that's like I don't know I ha I have a I have an issue with that I think like personally it's probably a little advantageous sure but like I I just feel like this is going to become the mantra moving forward when our inflation seriously does start to take the toll on the economy and all of these big uh foundational problems with our economy starts taking place 
the solution isn't going to be to fix those foundational problems. It's to just deal with it. And I find issue with that. I, I agree with you there. And I remember when I was in college, and this was almost 20 years ago, there, we, we were being inundated with, oh my gosh, there's you know not enough room in landfills and we, we, right. we, we have to stop the over, overconsumption. Actually, you know that's totally not true. But what I do think is that this is a big part of the, the degrowth movement. Yeah. And what, what, what they want to do is they want to slowly but surely uh, lower expectations so that we aren't producing as much, we aren't consuming as much. And to do that, first, you have to quell the, the consumption. And then you then, you know, by definition, the production will uh, will erode. Yeah. So everyone that's listening to this, I'm very curious of your kind of opinion on this specific piece and all the things that are in it. And I'll link this in the show notes uh, so you could read it in length, all the, the stuff that I kind of glossed over. But I'm very curious to see the viewers of this channel and what they think about this particular message. To go one step further, I've got this other article that to me is just unbelievable. And Chris, this might be the first time you that you've seen this. We, we did talk about this on the In the Tank podcast, but you weren't on this particular episode. So this is from an outlet that is called Boston Review. And the article is titled, To Save the Climate, Give Up the Demand for Constant Electricity. So the article starts off, uh, says, many decades ago, electricity became the new oxygen, and the vast majority of Americans today believe they need it every moment of every waking or sleeping hour. How dare they? <laughs> the United States has built a vast infrastructure for generating, transmitting, and consuming it, all mostly entirely based on planet-destroying fossil fuels and nuclear power. Those fuels hold and store energy. If you accumulate enough of them, you can generate electricity abundantly and reliably. The result is that the average American household uses elect electric resources far beyond its needs while, use, uh, while losing power for fewer than six hours per year. And I will say that when those six hours do happen, we raise hell about it. Uh, <laughs> if I lose power for six minutes, it's like a major problem. <laughs> Renewables can provide that plentitude and already do through wind and solar farms in Texas and California, but not necessarily all the time. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> well, it's the part about it not yeah. necessarily being all mm -hmm. the time is certainly true. The sun shines at us uh, constantly with more energy than we can possibly use at any moment. What about the clouds? Earth... Yeah, right. But the Earth's rotation puts us in the shadow at nightfall. And wind, of course, can simply stop. As a result, the leading uh, fossil and nuclear-free uh, sources of energy bounce from feast to famine, raising the possibility of more frequent and longer power cuts. Critics, often supporters of natural gas, say wind and solar power are not ready. Renewables, they warn us, pose an intermittency problem. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, we know most of that and we understand that the lefties are really kind of pushing for wind and solar for 100 renewable net zero emissions etc cetera, etc cetera. so one thing that this article has going for it 
is that the majority of the article talks about this intermittency problem, the fact that the, the sun isn't always shining and the wind isn't always blowing. And it talks about any potential solutions to that and uh, the drawbacks to those solutions, uh, the idea that we need just like a whole bunch of battery backups that we can store energy for when, for when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. But it talks about the problems with that and how we're years away from actually having like a reliable battery backup system all the resources that uses etc cetera, etc cetera. right um it talks about a whole bunch of different potential solutions that again aren't necessarily in place and it doesn't say that because of these intermittency problems being unresolved that we should push back our net zero goal no no, no. it says that we need to push forward with it now because of you know global warming being an existential threat and all of that stuff and we just have to deal with the intermittency problems and deal with longer lasting uh power outages and the fact that we won't be able to just have electricity on demand 24 7 this is a real article chris what right. do you think about right it? you know just just like we talked about in the prior article what they're trying to do is they're trying to change expectations they're trying yeah. to lower expectations i cannot believe that we in 2021 are saying hey maybe we should have a power grid that is not fully functional and you know 100 reliable right why would we go back to the to the you know the bad old days where can't we had to light candles at night and you know just why would we do that i have no idea what their what their reason is however i know just on the face of it it makes no sense it's going to make us all worse off people are going to die because in the winter when they need to heat their homes they're not going to be able to and in the summer when they need to cool their homes they are not going to be able to we saw this happen in texas because their power grid has been disrupted with green energy subsidies if we were to do this at a national level i just i can't even imagine what the ramifications would be yeah, so in the in the concluding paragraph, it says what applies to the pandemic also applies and also with desperate urgency in the climate crisis. Uh, we can live with some intermittency and rationing, at least until batteries and other form of energy storage are up and running elsewhere. And it says uh, we don't need nest or permanent telecommuting for a while. Let's eat a cold dinner here and there. Continuity costs too much. Climate change kills, and it kills the vulnerable people first. Intermittency saves lives, and it saves vulnerable people first. Let's uh, let the pause take its place in uh, continuous climate activism. So what they're saying there is actually the opposite of what mm -hmm. you were suggesting. And I think it's the opposite of reality, which is the idea that intermittency is actually going to save lives because this means that we can actually move forward with our activism and our, and our climate change policies that are put in place. When in reality, like you were saying, intermittency is actually going to cost lives because you're well, right. The more vulnerable people are the ones that uh, you know are going to be in a position where their lives are at risk when their heat isn't working for a couple of hours during the winter or when their uh, air conditioning isn't working during the periods of time when it's 100 plus degrees outside. But yeah, this is the reality that they're trying to push for. And to me, this is like a... Um, it's actually a I don't I don't know how this is going to be a little confusing, but it's almost a little refreshing that they're actually talking about this stuff in realistic terms, because you would never see a Joe Biden talk about 
about this stuff like this. You would never hear a politician or Joe Biden say, yeah, you know, our power is going to go out and we just have to deal with it, you know, because that is the reality of the situation. What the Joe Bidens of the world are going to say is, no, yeah, we can do net zero tomorrow and it's not going to cost anything. You won't you won't even realize anything has changed. In fact, your life will probably get better because all of this stuff comes with jobs, J-O-B-S, right? BS being the keyword of all of that. <laughs> but, just... but 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 I think I think what we also need to, to take into account here is that these policies will never impact them negatively. Just like the rising gas prices does not impact them because they drive right around in government provided limousines. Do you really think that if this were to happen, that uh, John Kerry's house would somehow uh, you know, go lights out for half right. the day. No, That's he would point. have, he would have a special generator. He would have all sorts of things to make sure that it doesn't impact him, but it impacts the hoi polloi who they look down upon. And, you know, just to make this point even greater, uh, where are all these wind farms and solar farms located? They're located in the interior of the country in poor towns and cities. They're never located in well-to-do uh, neighborhoods or, you know, anywhere near the uh, offshore palaces where Barack Obama lives, you know, we know that they would never, ever put windmills and solar panels there. So this yeah. is this is just such hypocrisy. What they're doing is saying, hey, you're going to suffer because our pol our energy policies are not up to par. Yeah. And you know what? They're not going to be at the par for decades. This this yeah. this article says, oh, we're going to figure out how to store electricity and batteries, you know, from windmills and uh, solar panels. No, you're not. You're not right. even close to it. And we've been pouring billions and billions and billions into it. Yeah, no doubt. But to me, this is just kind of like the shifting of that Overton window. Yeah. Or again, they're trying to sell you. The politicians are trying to sell you that, like, we can do all of this stuff and it won't, it, you know, it, if anything, it'll positively impact your life in the short term. And now we're getting some of these articles that are like, plan on having some cold dinners, plan on having more power outages, but we need to to save the planet. So it's like that to me, that's that's. That's the direction of the rhetoric that's going to go. It's going to try to uh, prepare us for this gloomy future that they have destined us towards. So, you know what, though? It's it's extremely desperate. It is it it it, it will not play well with the American people at any level. Yeah. That's right a good point. or left. You know, it's a good point. You'll probably only find the real support for stuff like this in the uh, echo chambers of Twitter and things like that. But yeah, uh, yeah in academia and in, in places where where, where they, they can theorize, you know, for, well, you for... know what the Jen Psaki just recently, uh, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but uh, during a press conference, they were asking her about like the rising gas prices and all of that. And her response to that was, well, rising gas prices is just going to, uh, you know, it's just going to push the the need for our agenda even more, you know, mm -hmm, because gas mm -hmm. prices are so expensive. It's like it's your policies that are in place that are causing gas prices to be more expensive in the first place. So even when we're in a position where, you know, we're dealing with rolling blackouts on a semi consistent basis, you're never going to be able to say, I told you so. So don't expect to be able to do that, people. We need to stop this stuff from happening in the first place. That is the only way that we'll be able to uh, to actually keep these people in check. And, and I think that we need to also reject the trial balloons that they're throwing out like this and like the other thing where, hey, we should live like Europeans. No, if you want to go live like Europeans, go move to Europe, <laughs> you know, or if you if you want to live in a in a country where where blackouts and brownouts are, you know, a way of life. 
go 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 to a third world country. Yeah, even even better than that, where it's like, you know, I I I, I would really like at least the option. Can I ex- can I have the option of you know living like a European and not just like have to because it's a necessity? <laughs> like, can I can it be an option? Like, that's that's all I'm asking for. But uh, that's a great point. All right, uh, that that should do it. Uh, that should do it for this segment of Stopping Socialism TV. If you like this content, you want to see more, all you have to do is hit that like button, subscribe to our channel on YouTube, go to stoppingsocialism.com, see a whole bunch of great content there. You can also follow us on the different social medias, whether it's uh, Stopping Socialism on Facebook, Stopping Socialism TV on Facebook. We have a Twitter account. We have an Instagram account. We even have a Parlor account, so you can find us if you look hard enough. Chris Talgo, you are a ghost on social media, so just join me in saying goodbye to the fine people. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great day. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next time.